0: Man, I hope this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm just going to set my timer here so I know what I'm doing. Um, awesome for all of you to come out. I know like midterms are coming up, right? So, And yet you take time to come and worship and learn from the Lord. That's awesome. Tonight um, we're going to be talking about purpose. So just before we start, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for each person that you've brought here tonight. Um, Thank you that we can worship you, that we can learn from you. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would move, that you would um, use me to speak words about our purpose and identity that are found in you, that are given to us through you and from you. And so, Lord, I just pray um, for this time. Would you teach us in your name? Amen. Okay, so I was telling Luke Friesen, the youth pastor here, that I was going to be talking about Purpose tonight, and he said, oh, you mean the Justin Bieber album, Purpose? And I said, are you a fan, Luke? And apparently he is. um, But no, I'm not going to be talking about Justin Bieber's album. I'm going to be talking about our life. Though he did uh, say that he wrote that album because there was a time in his life when he, like, kind of lost sight of his purpose so he used writing an album to try and figure out like who he was and I think the point is we really need to know who we are. We need to know what our purpose is and we really need to be grounded in it because there's so many times in life that we can lose sight of our purpose and that kind of shifts, shifts the ground underneath us a bit. So I'll tell you about A couple times in my own life when I lost sight of my purpose. One, well, I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 19. So when I did finally realize who God was and he opened my eyes and I could... Um, see how he was amazing and wasn't trying to squelch all my fun. I I thought about my life through my high school years and how uh, it was just like this wishy-washy, constantly swerving here and there. And I felt like I wasted my whole life, like my whole 19 years, such a waste of time because I didn't understand what God had done for me and who I was in him. Fast forward that to when I married my husband and we had our kids and my family was mm, not always perfect and things my oldest son he has autism and he would um, we it was undiagnosed so there was a lot of years of struggle in there and i thought wow i don't know like if i have a purpose i don't know what my purpose is I felt like I had to have everything all together to serve God, and I didn't have it all together. And I still don't, by the way. Spoiler alert. But I felt like there, I, I'd have to fix things, and then I'd be able to figure out um, how to serve God and what my purpose was. But I had it mixed up. That wasn't right at all. Uh, but my point in telling you all this stuff is that we need to know our purpose. We need to be grounded in it, and we don't want to lose sight of it and find out that we've wasted our life following after the wrong stuff. So how do we know our purpose, and how do we live out that purpose? That's what we're going to talk about tonight, and we're going to look to 1 Peter. The letter Peter wrote to the church to um, kind of have that inform our purpose. And we're going to specifically be looking at 1 Peter 2, uh, 4 to 10, and even more specifically, um, verses 9 and 10. So what I'm going to do is I'm quickly going to give us a bit of background so we don't just jump into 1 Peter 2 and not really know what was happening, who this was written to, and things like that. And then we're going to talk about two aspects that we'll read about in 1 Peter 2 that tell us who we are and how to live out our purpose, and that's being a royal priesthood and a holy nation, which will make more sense when I read the passage. But the background of this letter is that Peter wrote it to a group of Gentile Christians, most likely Gentile Christians, that were scattered around the Greco-Roman world in what is now modern-day Turkey. So they're scattered around, and they're being persecuted. They're they're losing their income. They're losing everything if if they convert to Christianity. So it's a really big deal that they are converting to Christianity because it's costing them so much. They're suffering so much under one of... Uh, a very notorious emperor, Nero, most likely, that that um, was just so cruel to, to the Christians. So Peter writes this letter to the, to the church that's scattered around. This letter that he opens, calling them elect exiles. Because as they're scattered, he wants them to know, hey, you're chosen, but you're also exiles. You're foreigners. This is not your home. You don't belong to this world. There's something better for you. You're a child of God. You have an inheritance kept for you in heaven. So he reminds them this and he tells them, I'm writing you this so that you'll stand firm. In the suffering, in everything, you'll stand firm. And so we need to hear from him and what he wrote to that church so that we, we live in post-Christian Canada. There's so many things that are pulling at us that are trying to tug away at our identity and our purpose and we need to know how do we stand firm And we will stand firm if we know who we are and we know how to live out our purpose. So let's dig in. We'll read 1 Peter 2, 4 to 11. Uh, If you have that with you, great. If not, it should be up there. Or is it? Yeah? Okay. Uh, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, Okay, so in this passage, as Peter is reminding this scattered people that they're part of a spiritual house that God is building from every tribe and tongue and nation and race, and these people coming together through Christ, being built into this spiritual house that is a place where God now dwells, and we now will focus on 9 and 10, which is kind of our underlying purpose here as Peter tells the these exiles that they're a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood and a holy nation like what does that even mean we don't really talk like that so to find out actually what that means we're going to jump to the Old Testament and um, hear from when these terms were first used and they were first used to the Israelites who were in slavery in Egypt and had been there for 200 years in slavery. And they got brought up, and they don't know who they are. They're rescued by God, but they don't have an identity. They don't know how to, how to move forward in the world. So God, God tells Moses what to tell them in Exodus 19:4 through 6. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God had offered this covenant relationship with these people of Israel and they needed to obey and then they would be this treasured possession that could then be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation that would display his goodness to the nations around them. He was setting them apart from other nations to reflect who he was and is to the surrounding nations. And so the link here is that this is what God wanted the Israelites to know. But now it's what Peter wants the church to know. That special identity of being a royal priesthood and a holy nation belongs to that scattered exile church. And it belongs to us today. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. So we're going to look at two aspects of what is a royal priesthood. What does it mean for us today then to be a royal priesthood? So the first is that we're privileged priests. We actually have the privilege of ha- having access to a holy God. So in the Old Testament, again, when God was going to dwell with his people, he-, he gives them guidelines and has them build a tabernacle and later a temple where he would dwell. It would be this image of his dwelling place on earth. So he, he has them build the temple and he has, in the tabernacle as well, there's the most holy place. That's where he dwells. And no one, no one could go into that most holy place except for a priest. And that priest could go in one time a year and they'd have to um, go through certain like purifying rituals so they could go in in the right way before this holy God. But now, because Jesus, at Jesus' death, that veil that was in the temple between every ordinary day life... And the most holy place where God dwelt, it was torn into at Jesus' death. So suddenly, everyone could access God through Jesus. And so we now have the privilege of having access, but it's not for no reason. As we read in verse 5, we have access to God in order to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to him through Jesus. So Romans 12, 1 through 2 tells us what spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will able, be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So these holy and acceptable sacrifices are our living sacrifices. They're every role and every part of our life, our going about, doing our business, everyday life. that Living that out as worship to God is our spiritual sacrifice that's acceptable to God. And this is like, we are never not in God's presence. We are never at a time in our life, in our day, that we're not in some place of offering, being able to offer spiritual sacrifices to God and live out that worship to him. All of life, all of life, we're in the court of the temple. We do not have the privilege, though, of this access to God for ourselves. So the second aspect of pri- priesthood is that we have medi- a mediating ministry. So what does that even mean? So as Israel's rescued, and they're given this role to be priests, to, to be priests, they're to reflect him to the nations. And Israel's meant, yeah, they're meant to be a community that's dedicated to the priestly role of service to Yahweh. And t- they, that, they do that by teaching the word, and praying, and that is their mediating ministry. And as the New Testament church now, as we together, we have this role of a mediating ministry, of teaching and speaking and sharing God's truth, and of praying for people. So I, growing up, had this, well I still have him actually, he's my cousin, but growing up my cousin was like a local celebrity. I grew up in southern Alberta and he was a news anchor and a radio host, so like double whammy, right? So not everybody could go and see this local celebrity, right? but I could because I was his cousin. So I had this relationship with him that allowed me to, uh, to know him, to access him. Um, and so we kind of get this idea about us as the New Testament church that we have access to God who's better than my cousin but we don't have access to God for ourselves we have access to him to tell other people about him so um, I had a friend and she'd hear me kind of like I'd mention oh yeah because I'm I'm Tony's cousin so she said hey what's he like like is he nice and I said yeah he's a great guy she said, hey, would you introduce me to him? And so I thought, yeah, you know what? I can introduce you to my cousin for sure. And guess what? They're married. They've been married for like, I don't know. They have three kids. It's awesome. And it's all because of me. But I, my role could be to, to, to introduce my cousin to my friend. And that's how we can introduce God to our friends and our neighbors, and our coworkers, and our fellow students. like We have the mediating ministry of introducing someone who is way better than my local celebrity cousin, Tony, Jesus. We have the opportunity to introduce him to our friends. And that's, that's evangelism, right? That's part of what evangelism is all about. Sharing that good news that once we were not a people, But now we are a people of God, that salvation that's available for them. So every time you love your fellow student or coworker or fellow barista, every time when you share the good news with them, that hope you have, you're engaging in your priestly duty, that purpose that you have been given by God. And also as part of that mediating ministry we have, our priestly duty, we can pray We can pray because we have access to God. We can pray for the people around us that we meet in our day, that our friends and, and family members that don't know God, we can pray. That's part of our mediating ministry. This um, last week, we had a prayer day here at Northview with Multiply. It was a prayer morning. And so we spent like the morning from 9 to noon just praying for our missionaries around the world, in Canada, in the States, everywhere, um, and praying for the people that they were ministering to. And it was this beautiful morning of us engaging in our priestly duties to be mediators for the world. So every time you pray, you're engaging in your priestly service. Who can you be praying for? Like with this fervent, dedicated priestly praying, do you have someone in mind? Because we get to be God's treasured possession. We get to be his chosen people and his royal priesthood to to pray for people, to engage in our mediating ministry. So how do you live your life as in this mediating ministry? How are you living your life? If you are in school, are you living out your life as a student in light of your access to God? Do you view your day-to-day living, your day-to-day, the people you meet day-to-day, as an opportunity to mediate? What about relationships? An opportunity to live your life as a sacrifice Think about it. That brings us to our second purpose. We, have to, we get to live as a holy nation. So Peter's reminded the people of their position as priests, and now he's reminding them of their position as a holy nation as well. God is holy. We sang about it tonight, right? Holy, holy, holy. God is set apart. He is so vastly other so set apart from evil, so great and so pure, and he sets his people apart to be holy. So the only thing I could think of when I was thinking about this set apart was my mom had this beautiful wooden box and inside she had this silverware. It was like she, we, you know, you don't use it for everyday occasions. Um, it's this special place setting of silverware, and she'd polish it because silver tarnishes and needs polishing, so it needed a lot of extra care and concern, but it was set apart. It wasn't for everyday use, it was, it was special. This is a bad illustration because we actually, I never, ever, ever remember using that silverware, ever. But we need to use our lives and not let them just sit there, but we are set apart. Again, the language of Exodus God calls his covenant people to reflect his holiness, this set-apartness. By, he gives them the law. He gives them the law, which in that, that ancient world was a really good thing because it would tell people how set-apart God was, how different he was. And they could reflect that. Obeying the law would reflect God's holiness to the, car- to the culture around them. And he chose Israel out of this world for that special use and that set-apart purpose to reflect the character of their holy God. So together, you're part of the church. You're the holy nation today. And you have been chosen out of the world to be a part of that new nation. And your purpose is to live your life in a way that imitates your holy God. Underlying what you do in your day to day life is this purpose of holiness. When Paul writes a letter to the Ephesians um, in Ephesians 1 3 to 4, he writes, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. And blameless in his sight. So what did God choose us for? He chose us to be holy. What is God's will for your life? That you would be holy and blameless in his sight. And in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 10, Peter writes to the church, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They're living in such a vastly different, holy way that it reflects something different to the society. The society then can see their good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits Our life should be so separate and so vastly different from those around us. So, our Instagram feed should look different, and our Visco should be different. It should be evident that we belong to a holy God. And it's becoming kind of easier to be different and set apart, I think, because the world and the culture is there's such a shift between holiness and our culture and Christian values, and our culture's values. But it's also increasingly more difficult to be set apart because the world and post-Christian Canada is becoming more hostile. So do we stand up and say what we believe? Do we stand up and be different? Or are we going to capitulate to culture and just hide our faith inside? We need to stand out. For Peter's first century audience, that actually meant suffering. And for us, it could mean suffering as well. Probably not in the same way that they experienced suffering, but it's, it's a big deal. So how are we even holy? Well, the ultimate foundation of holiness in the church is not its own ability to be good. It's not our ability to be holy in our own power. We can't do enough things. We can't be good enough. We can't speak to our neighbors enough or hold our tongue enough to be holy. It's actually that Jesus took our sin on him. He didn't sin. He was holy, yet he took our unholy sin upon himself that we could be made right with God and be made holy and blameless in his sight. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to continue the work of transformation in us through his presence. So looking back to 1 Peter, again in 1 Peter 1, 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from you to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect because of that precious blood of Christ and his sacrifice we're motivated to holiness do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Jumping ahead in 1st Peter to 2:24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Know that you are made holy to live holy. This dying here, this dying to sin that Peter mentions, this is drastic measure. To die to sin means that you don't entertain it. You don't flirt with it. You, you leave it behind. And you flee from it. You take it seriously. We don't um, use, yeah, we just don't excuse ourselves we take it seriously. When I, I told you I became a Christian when I was 19. So at that point in time, I, I was doing a lot of things that weren't very great. And I uh, had a lot of friendships that weren't very healthy. And so when I became a Christian, I couldn't live the same way anymore. I couldn't live that same life and then add Jesus onto it. I couldn't be a Christian on Sundays and then live the rest of my life and the rest of my week the way that I wanted to. It had to drastically impact the way that I lived. And so I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't just continue on. I had to make changes, painful changes. But I had to do it. I still do. There's still so many areas of my life where I have to make painful changes. So, are there areas where you need to make changes, where you're entertaining sin, you don't take it seriously, you think, I can just, like, it's okay, just do it a little bit? Are you playing with it? There are areas that you need, you know, you know, you need to die to sin. This is a lifelong process. We need to do it continually. So because God himself steps in to deal with our unholiness, our sin problem, we can understand that we have a purpose to be holy. And we can live in the motivation of his love and the power of his spirit and be holy. Together, as the church, as a people who don't conform to their evil desires and reflect God's set-apartness to the world around us. And the whole purpose in all of this, why we're we're priests and, and a holy nation, why? Is so that we can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. And once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. The function and the purpose of these roles that were given as priests and a holy nation are to declare the praises of God, who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, who took us from being not a people and made us his people, who took us from being without mercy and gave us mercy. This is huge. And we can declare his praises to the nations around us. As Jesus was leaving leaving his disciples and ascending back to heaven, he gave them the great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He tells his disciples as he's leaving, go and make disciples. How do we do that? We declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We declare his praises. We live our life as a holy priesthood and a holy nation to declare his praises and what he has done. This is like our underlying purpose. The purpose in our priestly role In our role as a holy nation, it's declaring God's grace and praise and making disciples. So we're really willing to share about things that we like. Like if I asked you, hey, what's the best pizza place? You could probably really easily tell me. Where can I get the best coffee? You might be able to easily tell me. But oftentimes we kind of shy away of declaring the glorious praises and excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, don't we? I do. Sometimes I'm like, "Uh." it's kinda scary. But this is the greatest thing. This is the greatest thing. That we were not a people, but now we are a people. That we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Why do we shy away from telling this to our friends and our neighbors and our brothers and our cousins? This is the greatest news. So hopefully, this has been helpful for us to kind of think, what is this underlying purpose that can inform all of our roles in life? So I've given you, like if you got the handout, you'll have, um, you'll have a section on it, a column that says role. And then it says purpose. So as you, as you um, sit here for maybe the next five minutes... You can just think about what are the roles you have in your life right now. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're an employee. Maybe you're a daughter, a friend, a girlfriend, a wife, a mom. What are your roles? And can you think of ways that your underlying purpose of proclaiming God, of being a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, can you think of ways that that affects those roles? I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm a wife. I'm married to my husband, David. We've been married 20 years. It's awesome. I have so much marriage advice if you you need any ever. Um, So in, in my marriage, this underlying purpose that I have of being in a royal priesthood and a holy nation... Uh, It changes a couple things for me. So I realize that I can be a mediator of God's mercy to my husband by living in forgiveness. So if he leaves his clothes on the floor behind the bathroom door, true story, I can actually not complain about it and just forgive him. I'll I'll address it with him, trust me. I'm not that good. um, Marriage challenges are good. They'll give me opportunities to grow in holiness. God will use these challenges to shape my character to be more and more like him. So when I hit those bumps in my marriage, I don't have to be overwhelmed because actually God's refining me. He's helping me to be more and more like him. Uh, As exiles, David, my husband, and I can live for our future inheritance in God's kingdom. We can remind each other we don't want to build our kingdom here. So that's some ways that this underlying purpose can affect my role as a wife. I also, uh, one more example for me as a student. So as a student, knowing my, my purpose, my underlying purpose can help me. A grade will not define me. God has already defined me as chosen by him to serve him and proclaim him. So I don't have to put so much of my identity in my grades. I can strive with all my efforts to do the best work I can to reflect God in all I do, even papers. Sometimes things get derailed. Can I patiently reflect God's character even when I'm under stress, when I've got tons going on, when I've been up since 5 a.m. and it's 9 at night and I still have things to do? Uh, I have the opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of God to those around me as I study, if I take my work to the coffee shop, whatever it might be, to make the most of those opportunities. So those are ways that I've, um, things that I've written down about that. So just take some time and think about your role, your different roles in life, and how that purpose can inform and change the way you view those roles and how you can live out your purpose within those roles. Okay, so I had you kind of think about your roles and the the underlying purpose because these roles change. There was a time when I was working, I had an employer, I was single, and now I'm married, I have four kids, Um, I have, like, they were little kids at one point, then I was the mom of little kids, and then my role changed and I became the mom of teenagers. I'm like the mom of one adult, what? How did that happen? And I'm an immersed student here at Northview uh, in the pastoral internship, so my roles changed again. Throughout your life, your your roles will change. You'll be single. You'll be in a relationship. You'll be single again. You'll be married. You'll have kids maybe, maybe not. But it's going to change. But if we're anchored in this underlying purpose that God has given us, as this holy nation and royal priesthood to c- proclaim his excellencies, Then no matter what, no matter what you're doing, no matter what job you have, how many kids you have, uh, if you're married, if you're not, you'll have that underlying purpose in your mind and you'll be able to live your lives for God and you won't think to yourself, oh my goodness, I wasted 19 years you'll be able to, um, yeah, just know and be girded in that. So we pray, let me pray for us right now. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would would anchor us in the purposes that you've given to us, that you would anchor us in you so that as our culture and as uh, society um, butts up against your values, butts up against you, we stand firm. We stand firm even if it means uh, losing things and suffering, Lord. I pray that we will um, allow you to speak who we are to us and that we just be willing to surrender to you. In your name, amen.